All right, a special edition news flash update from the Bitcoin bottom line. Uh, I'm CJ Wilson with Josh Olsewich, and uh, it's winter time. Josh has his beanie on for those of you just listening. Uh, Josh, big update in the FTX case. What do we got? What's happening? Yeah, so the wheels of justice are slowly turning here in the long arm of the law, the law if I can say that properly, mm-hmm. has uh, reached out and grabbed SBF, or as he's known, Sam Bankman Freed. Somebody made a good point that like we should say his full name because he's an adult. But at the same time, I'm just like, eh, I know who he is. You know, it's yeah. his name's kind of a mouthful, you know, so I don't know. The uh, the thing was, OK, so this is what's interesting. The Bahamian police picked him up. So you say it. Yeah. The Bahamian okay. Department <laughs> of Justice, uh, their securities laws and stuff like that. They're, they've determined that he's done some illegal stuff. Uh-huh. So they've got him right uh the united states department of justice is uh sending a petition to extradite him and uh the bahamas is going to be like sure but the question is you know if you do a crime in you know in crypto land like anything's possible in, uh, across the water right so you could potentially be defrauding people from the bahamas and if the victims are in america then the american justice system can go after you and the Bahamian justice system can go after you too. The funny thing is that like this is the first person that's been arrested because of something blowing up, right? We haven't seen any of these other people arrested necessarily, right? Uh, Do Kwan, uh, Three Years Capital guys, and Mashinsky, they've just sort of like pled bankruptcy and sort of like coughed out the, coughed out the fines or whatever's had to happen. Uh, but Sam is now in a cell. And I think a lot of people were like, hey, when's he going to get arrested? Because I think what happens is too many people get not not necessarily let out, but too many people were sort of getting bruised. And now the crowd is chanting for blood. You know, they want to see something really big happen here. Yeah, I think in the in crypto world, especially we see stuff happen 24 seven. So we are very early on a lot of stuff. Mm hmm including everything that happened with FTX and how quickly everything imploded, right? And you sort of have to think about all the the law enforcement officials who had to like unravel all of that, who weren't like as involved as most of us were with any of that stuff, at least in the news. And uh, we had to wait sort of for, um, I'm not going to call him the auditor, but the the post-bankruptcy CEO, John J. Ray, Mm -hmm. to like sort through stuff, right? To get a clear picture of what's going on. But in front of Congress too. He was yeah. in front of Congress because SBF wasn't there because he got arrested the day before, which was a couple of days ago. So it's all happened that they were, they were like, okay, we're going to have a hearing, right? This is like a month after the election, right? A month after the election, it comes out that's, that he's given all this money, you know, that FTX employees have been given money all over the place that he might've been giving money through random people all over uh, that he might've given even more money than we thought. And that's sort of was a, a sort of an immunity shield like World of Warcraft. You know, he had the mage <laughs> in the back casting spells to keep him safe. And now all of a sudden that's gone. Someone's unlocked that combination and he's behind bars. Um, you know, the funny thing though is, like I said, it was like right before, it's like perfect timing. It's like him and Maxine Waters are going back and forth on Twitter. Like, hey, I'd love you to talk about this. And he's like, well, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable talking about it. And they're like, you were the guy running the company. It's pretty much your face on the cover of Fortune magazine. So, or There's Forbes just magazine. so many points that it's just a very bizarro type situation where he's like, 
claiming he didn't know anything was going on, didn't know the leverage. Yet other people are saying he clearly had access to bank accounts and was very doing things in a very specific way for a very specific reason. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, again, talking to everybody in, in their mother, New York Times, Forbes, literally anybody who Twitter spaces, wants, he's on Twitter, yeah, he's Twitter like, spaces. It's just like, what is going on? And, yeah. and then he gets arrested. And then, like you said, there's all these other people who um, did some troubling things, let's say, mm-hmm. <laughs> allegedly. And, yeah. Uh, are still walking free and they're also and they're also on twitter spaces right and they're all they're on that same twitter spaces with him like it's it's very weird it's 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 like the simulation is really starting to break down now (laughs) you know what i mean they've run out of run out of different uh different like you know levels to the game i guess and then Um, there's all this election stuff and i'm not even you know a conspiracy like again i'm like i'm left-leaning i'm in biotech right i'm i'm pro-vaccine okay so i'm like Totally the last person to say, all right, this is a bit suspicious. Like there's something going on here, but um, all the connections just it's giving fuel to the, the conspiratorial fire. But like it's one of his hard to ignore. One of his top four or five employees also gave $20 million to the Republican side, right? Like across these other people. So, yeah. you know, it, it's like the total package, the total finance package that we'll call it the swamp package that FTX <laughs> presented in terms of funding politicians. Forget forget about like what side it is but just the total yeah. girth of that package <laughs> like it's pretty it's pretty impressive and it's funny because um you know it, i i think the only way that the the, the majority of real people are going to find out about this is when uh seth mcfarland does a does a movie about it with jonah hill and Maisie williams from game of thrones as sam bankman freed and caroline uh, and that's going to be and it's going to be a comedy somehow that just, and, you know, like war dogs, but with crypto and it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. So, yeah. And on top of that, apparently the one of the heads of uh, FTX US, Salami, I think is his name. Anyway, apparently he reached out to the Bahamas on like November 7th or 8th um, to sort of paddle tail a little bit on what Sam was doing with FTX US in regards to you know tipping into um I don't know what he looks like but we'll have Miles Teller play him sure you know uh, that's that, that's fair we'll have Miles Teller play salami and tipping into, uh, tipping into uh user funds but yeah anyway yeah exactly um so anyways I think the the next phase is you know the the blowback is is very heavy we we're seeing um, now it's like there's been so many people stealing candy out of the candy jar that one of the great topics that they had in that hearing that they were supposed to have with him was, hey, listen, if an exchange is printing their own token, is that okay to put on their balance sheet? Does that even make sense? Does the valuation of a company or at least the assets of the company actually include the stock that they hold in the company, you know, or is it only well, is it their... stock though, CJ? Well, is no, no, no. I'm saying like if American Airlines, uh, you know, it's just a publicly traded company. Yeah. They're, they're like, hey, we have this many shares of our own company. Well, it's like if you sell too many shares, it's not your company anymore. Right. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the thing there. But I'm saying like, OK, they have airplanes, they have engines, they have landing gears, they have, you know, uh, intellectual property. Those are actual assets. But on the FTX balance sheet, it was like FTT token and like no Bitcoin, like not even really any Ethereum. Um, and it's just like USDC and tether and, you know, just in some lot of serum. Yeah. Serum token. So, so I think, um, it just shows that people that are people that are maybe 
well, I wouldn't say greedy, but but why? Like, why did he? Why did he think this was okay to do? You know, that's the question I keep asking. Like, he's allegedly not a, a stupid individual, right? He went to MIT. He took out a three billion dollar loan from his own company. Like, right, where, but like, but like, that's that's why? we're talking billions. So where did that go? Is it like, hey, Caroline, sorry, you lost all of our money on you know betting against this or betting for that or longing you know Shiba Coin on some allegedly, other exchange? Yes, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> like that's that's the thing. So you know, it's it's funny because it just shows you that the people that are really responsible in in the entire investing space are people that methodically move you know, step by step, they're not taking risks, they're not bailing out other companies, they're not trying to get too big too fast. FTX was not a company. And then all of a sudden, it was the it was this, it's, you know, sponsoring Super Bowl commercials, right within the span of two years. And granted, crypto could be magical. But it like you still have to run a business like a business. I mean, I run a brick and mortar business. And if we make a million dollars in a month, I can't go out there and buy a $2 million car, right? It just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work like that. So, um, you know, people that try to make it work like that, they end up with handcuffs on at some point. And so that's that's the benefit of capitalism. You're allowed to fail on your own. Uh, the problem with centralized exchanges is you, when you fail uh, due to malice or using customer funds or something like that and you become illiquid, then you hurt more people than just yourself. Right. If and that's 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 the difference between running a pizza place and running FTX. Yeah. And as uh, JJR put it. In the hearing, John J. Ray, he said it's just old-fashioned embezzlement. You know, they were they were running their business on QuickBooks. I don't know what you use at your brick and mortar business. But... It's a lot more advanced than that. I mean, like our financial uh, statements on a monthly basis are probably ten pages long, and it's like eight font. You know, and it's itemized <laughs> to like how much do we have in oil? How many used cars do we sell? Like, you know, how much do we pay in financing? How much do we pay in in rent, electricity? You break down all that stuff. You're not doing that in QuickBooks. It's just impractical. Yeah. So again, it's like they were, there was no general management at the top. There was no gray hairs, as they say. There was no old people who knew what they were doing, who've done right. this before. It was just kind of kids just going wild, you know, buck wild in a beanbag, <laughs> just, yeah, just, just unfettered, uh, you know, degeneracy, know. unfettered degeneracy, <laughs> yeah. and now, now they're in double trouble. And so I think the. The question is, if everybody at FTX turns on Sam, then do they all get immunity? Or, um, you know, what does what does one do after they blow up a, a prop desk? Right. Like, what's the next thing for Caroline? What's the next thing for and who's this Gary Wang guy? Like, where is he? What is his deal? Where is he? Is he a, is he a spy? Like, what's the what's the situation here? That's the that's really the question. Yeah, I don't know enough about any of the people on that list to speak about them intelligently. I'd only heard of Caroline, you know, a few months ago. I didn't even know who she really was. Right. And uh, she apparently may have been in New York City. She was in New York City getting coffee the other day. And somebody did this. Allegedly. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Somebody did this thing. They're like, oh, she was at this coffee shop. And that's like walking distance to the Department of Justice. 20 minute walking distance. Or the FBI or something like that. So it's kind of funny. Um, I mean, the memes are going to continue to win. The memes will own the internet at some point. If if there was a if there was a, a gas fee for reposting memes, you know, like that could be actually the next billion dollar cryptographically secure uh, business idea, right? If you were doing NFT, if we had like like provenance for memes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's maybe something we can think about. We'll talk to some of our nerd friends that know how to code <laughs> a little bit better than us and see if they could do that. You know, that could be the thing. Yeah, but I think the biggest two takeaways are this stuff has really very little to do with Bitcoin, if at all. You know, how the, how the exchange was run, who was trading, what, you know. Yeah. Uh, the protocol is unaffected, right? And then the second thing is, like you said, regulations are definitely coming. It's just a matter of in what flavor. Mm-hmm. And, and my question in my head regarding regulation is great. Like, yes, I want the best regulations we can get. But would, that, would they have prevented something like this from happening in the first place? It was in the Bahamas, you know? Like, I don't know. Are you going to prevent VCs from investing in companies that are uh, headed by U.S. individuals in a U.S. offshore tax haven? Like, I don't know. Right. If, if that's where we think we need to go, maybe that's where regulations go. But I, I don't see us going there, you know? Yeah. And, and in the meantime, the traditional, uh, let's call it the, the Federal Reserve Treasury uh, stock market, housing market, you know, LIBOR, SOFR, all that stuff is still just mangled right now. And everybody's, everybody's kind of terrified. So the funny thing is that the FTX thing, you know, despite whatever Elizabeth Warren says, is not creating a systemic problem for the rest of the world. The rest of the world is creating its own problems, you know, on their own. Um, I'd say the only systemic issues are with Solana, who uh, really had SPF and FTX at, at the center Mm-hmm. of their whole existence so you know, i don't think they're going to disappear but they certainly have some challenging times ahead of them as a, as a chain mm-hmm. if they're truly going to become decentralized you know which is yeah. another example of like look it's important as bitcoiners to look at all this stuff and say like this is why we do what we do because when stuff like that happens with solana it's very clear that having a centralized actor as part of your whole existence um is is a flaw yeah, you just exactly like this. There's there's not just one reason and there's not just one example. And when people say that, oh, the the Bitcoin people are mean or, you know, these people that are saying take custody of your own coins they're those people are crazy. It's like, no, we're not crazy. Right. We're saying there's an example again. Right. This yeah. happened again. And, you know, <sighs> we don't we don't have to trust anybody in in cryptocurrency like that's the whole point of cryptocurrency is you're supposed to just trust you're supposed to use the protocol and do it yourself and that's the that's that little bit extra effort ensures that you don't get rug pulled by a bad actor because let's just say this right are there bad actors yes or no yes like that's it so are there bad actors in the military in politics, in real estate, in art, in science, in, I don't know, the media, in cryptocurrency, <laughs> like, why would it be any different? Like, there's, there's, there's bad people yeah. all over the place. They're going to get evenly distributed to, to our little neck of the woods. There's going to be people that are like Bitcoin maximalists that are bad people too. Um, that's why, that's why the money for enemies thing sort of makes sense because then, you know, you don't really care who that other person is. You just want your Bitcoin. Um, and that's a much safer way to operate your, I guess, your financial life by, by not trusting the, the people on the other side, just trusting what you can hold. If you trust what you can hold, you know what you have, you hold more of your own stuff, you take more control of it. And the reality is then you don't lose as much of it through these other things because people can lose like 30 or 40% of their money in a bad you know, custodial situation or a hundred percent. And it's not worth it to get 2% yield sometimes, uh, you know, like, oh man, 2% yield. Then we have 2% more Bitcoin. It's like, that doesn't really matter. Like sell some t-shirts, 
you know, like get a second job. Like, I don't, I don't know, uh, send some, send some foot picks to, to only feet. And maybe you can, maybe you can, you know, like maybe you can, uh, make some money that way. It's just a better way of doing it versus risking your Bitcoin. That's the way I look at it. But you know, yeah, if you don't know who the yield is, you are the yield. Yeah, exactly. And people think like uh, my brother is an artist. He's an NFT artist. And him and I had this conversation. I said, listen, there's always winners and losers, you know? And he goes, no, everybody can win. I said, the only way everybody wins is if everybody's holding something of value and producing something of value. But if you're not producing something of value and you're just buying things, then you're getting taken advantage of to a degree. Um, I said, collecting things, like as I have all these like, you know, things behind me that I've collected over the years, uh, I'm doing this for an aesthetic purpose. I, I don't, I'm not trying to market them. I'm not trying to flex that I have them. I don't want, n- need anybody to know what my address is, where I keep this stuff or what it's worth. Uh, that's the big problem with, with some of the transparency of blockchain art. Um, and in that regard, that's, that's, that's another thing here that we're, that we're seeing is dropping off a little bit. So I, I just, I just think that people need to step back a little bit, lay off the hopium, look at reality, see that the world's volatile and do things to insulate themselves and protect themselves first. Cause if you can't guarantee a, a life vest for yourself, then you're not going to survive the storm that comes forward with all these other things. And maybe because Sam or Mashinsky or one of these other guys is going to get this crazy megalomaniac idea and they're going to blow something up and you're just going to be collateral damage with your, with your 10th of a Bitcoin or your 10 Bitcoins. It doesn't matter. Yeah. That's no coincidence that all of this is happening with macro, you know, first loosening for 10 years, right. Staying loose for 10 years and then tightening. And then all of a sudden, uh, everybody starts blowing up, right? Like there's, yeah. that's, that's not a coincidence that all this is happening at the same time. Um, so, so Josh, let me ask you this. Let, let's pivot a little bit. Um, like we're for sure in a bear market, but a bear market can r- range trade and go sideways. Um, what, does a, what does a bear market mean to you? First of all, what does okay, that mean? So, so a bear market means that the majority of people that have entered in a, in a short period of time are underwater, right? Okay. That, so, so for me, uh, majority of people that bought Bitcoin bought it over thirty thousand dollars, right? And the the people that bought it in the last you know twelve months, they they bought over thirty thousand dollar Bitcoin. Now we're under twenty thousand dollar Bitcoin, regardless of if you bought it fifty or sixty or whatever. Um, when there's a retraction in Bitcoin investment, when there's a um, uh, you know a retraction in profitability from mining, which we can talk to our, our friend Marshall Long about at some point. Um, I think there's there's like a, a, a higher percentage of pain than elation. That's to me, that's kind of what a bear market is. Okay. And I think, but I think it's just part of a cycle. I think it's just all part of the adoption cycle. And I think there's a lot of people that are entering because they're dissatisfied with the Federal Reserve of their country, the central bank of their country, because Bitcoin's not just America. It's not just, you know, it's not just wealthy people. It's people doing it out of need because you know, Lebanese money, Turkish money, Nigerian money, all trash. And if they have a chance to protect themselves with Bitcoin, well, they guess what? Instead of going down 2000% or something like that, they're down 60%, you know, or maybe even less because their buying power might be kind of flatlining while their native money just gets, gets eradicated. So uh, the, I'm bullish on Bitcoiners and Bitcoiner growth because the whole point of Bitcoin is like this steady development, you know, forward, forward. Um, yeah, and, slowly. Yeah. 
Yeah, slowly. And slow is fine. Slow is fine. Yeah. Uh, we we're in a race, you know, to wake everybody up before the machines take over or whatever you want to call it. Um, and Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a signaling tool for that uh, on a very big philosophical level. I think people, once they get into Bitcoin, they look at everything else with skepticism, right, left, doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter where you're at on the political spectrum or whatever. Yeah. You just, at some point you wake up and you realize, wow, I really let a lot of other people, you know, and these entire networks make decisions for me. I, I've let all these, all these people decide my life. I want to take control of my life. And if I have a family or I have loved ones, I want to help guide them on a better path than they're going to go if people just push them into one direction or whatever. Because if you're being shoved into one direction, then that does that's not freedom. It doesn't matter which move. It doesn't matter if that's equilibrium, the matrix, 1984, um, uh, or the diver, di divergent series or hunger games or whatever, you know, like popular culture thing that people have seen, um, you know, those always end with like a lot of people dying, a lot of people clumped up in an area, starting a revolution. And like, there's a lot of blood and pain that we can avoid if we just say, okay, how about we just keep the government out of our money? We'll do the money. The government can make rules on speed limits and, you know, whatever, and then we'll do the money. And, and I think that, fourth branch if you will of the government would be much more successful if it was decentralized and run by uh you know bitcoin than it was would be if it was run by janet yellen and jerome powell i agree sorry i interrupted you you no, said that was a you had a question about something regarding price i'm guessing but go ahead yeah sorry. so uh, i was what i was going to ask was yeah back to the bear market thing um we're in like what bear market 4.0 at this point like we've been through bitcoin's been through multiple cycles multiple bear markets uh multiple positive cycles as well um what gets you as a bitcoiner through the bear market i think it excites me that price doesn't excite me anymore like i can look at other stuff now <laughs> mm -hmm. and i get focused on like what what is happening on lightning uh what is happening uh, with taproot if anything which has been pretty quiet um what kind of uh, hardware wallets, like, you know, nerdy stuff, like seeing Blockstream release the hardware wallet. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, seeing that latest uh, Ledger wallet. Personally, I'm not like a massive fan of Ledger uh, as a wallet, but. But it's it's a pretty cool little piece of technology. Yeah, know? that thing, it looks, it, it looks hip and fresh and sleek and like something you'd see in a rap video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people are going to want to own that, right? That's, I think that's the point. It didn't like the iPod creator or some somebody related to apple uh was involved in the, the process for creating that uh, piece of hardware mm -hmm. um but anyway you know stuff like that it's just hearing um hearing stories of actual like use case and adoption again versus mm -hmm. like today's today's price you know yeah um, but back to the 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 fed real quick i was listening to jerome yesterday and i was just thinking man i can't wait till I don't have to listen to Jerome anymore. <laughs> like, uh, what's it? It's just so bizarre to me that we we gather around every every couple months, right, or every month, and wait what the to hear what the unelected officials have to say about our money. Mm -hmm. It's just like there's a better way. There's got to be a better way. We know there's a better way. Well, the the problem there too is when you have people getting up there and telling you that what your eyes are seeing and what your wallet is is doing aren't real, and that some other reality is what you should be either experiencing or 
you know, that, that it's like, it's all fine. Everything's fine. And you're, you know, I think people drive by gas stations and they see the price of gas locally in their Metro market. They, they see what it is. So there's a sort of consciousness of what the gas price is. Um, just like there's a sort of consciousness as to like, if your favorite sports teams in first place or last place, you know, you just sort of know what's going on there. Uh, and that's every day as an indicator. I think you, you look at little things that sort of creep up but never go back down. And by that, I mean like maybe fast food costs or things like that. And you look Don't at tell that. Don't you eat fast food. Don't Listen tell me you eat that Fiat food. Bro, In-N-Out burgers, I'm sorry. Okay, In-N-Out it gets a pass. Gets I, use a pass. It, I use it as a, I use it as a sort of heuristic to say, okay, it's $9 for number one at In-N-Out. When I was a kid, it was like three fifty or 4 bucks or something like that. So, and and when I when I explain Bitcoin to people locally, I say, listen, the burger's not any bigger. It's still tasty, but it's not any tastier. They don't have any extra stuff on it. There's no bacon or avocado or whatever, but it is two and a half times what it used to be or three times what it used to be. So if that's the case, why is that? And I just kind of sit back and think, and they're like, oh, I guess that's what inflation is. And I'm like, that's what inflation is, okay? That's like, that's it. Because people will say like, oh, well, yeah, gas is four bucks, but it used to be three bucks, and then it was five bucks, and it went back down to two bucks. So like that can be manipulated in the price of oil, da 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 It's like, okay. So that, so like the price of oil and the price of gold, like although people do understand what they're worth in a sense because they either use them or they see it as a price indicator or sort of signal, it, it the, 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 the number one, cheeseburger combo at your local <laughs> fast food place is much more the big mac index yeah that the big <laughs> mac index the pmi is much more close to the reality of your cost and your and your purchasing power yeah um it, because like people have this this expectation that their house is just going to go up in value right um so that so that's also not a good inflation indicator because that's location dependent and market dependent if you have a crappy house in a crappy area with crappy weather and crappy job prospects you're not going to see the same type of price inflation as you will in Carmel by the sea or, you know, South beach, Miami, or, you know, a gentrified neighborhood in, you know, New York city or something like that. You're just not going to, because it's like, you don't need to live in, in, you know, all, some, some places. Whereas if you're a really wealthy Silicon Valley person, you want to have a place in Carmel by the sea or that's, there's like competition there. So, you know, um, but that number one combo is really like it's a good one, you know. It's a good one, and I, I this this does exist, by the way. The, the Big Mac Index does exist. They look at like purchasing power across mm -hmm. the world, and they do some like volatility, uh, sorry, foreign exchange calculations. Um, but looking at the CPI breakdown, like the highest few of the highest items are food related: mm -hmm. eggs, butter, lettuce, cereal. Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny how they they separate these items out. Uh, milk, those were all extremely high. Um, mm -hmm. Eggs are getting hit with a big uh, avian flu uh, pandemic, not pandemic, but avian flu epidemic, I guess you'd call it. It's an United epidemic, States. yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of the food stuffs are extremely high. Uh, poultry as well, obviously. But I was surprised that beef in veal, minus 5% year over year. It, which mm. I didn't really think that was down that much. Uh, I think I think beef went up a lot and then it went, came back down. But see, the thing is with beef that's different than a lot of these other places is you have to be pretty specialized to to do beef, which means it's it's going to be geared more towards the the better players. Whereas dairy can be a little bit smaller and a little bit more localized. Uh, eggs, especially, way lower, way more normalized. You know, like 
way spread out. So I think I think what happens is the smaller players don't have economies of scale and can't mitigate costs as much, uh, whereas the bigger players can. And so you're going to see a McDonald's or a, an In-N-Out Burger or something like that have more control, whereas like you go to your favorite burrito place and they're going to have the menu written in pen or chalk in the sense of the price. Um, I don't know what the price of beer has done, but I would assume that that's sort of a staple for Americans, even though I don't drink. Um, but you know, alcohol. Uh, maybe that's not on here. Let me check Trueflation. Okay. Uh, it's this. I I don't have any uh, stake in this company or whatever, but <laughs> I just been plugging them a lot because they've done a really good job. It was created via a hackathon in in the end of last year. It's been operating for about a year now. And it's tracked inflation extremely well. What they do is they look at millions of items, um, mm-hmm. I assume online, and they uh, aggregate everything on Chainlink of all places. And uh, so it's like a, this Oracle system. But um, they have a, a they have an alcohol and tobacco section, and that's actually pretty much flat. Uh, it's about six percent, but it's unchanged uh, over the past. 12 months, let's say. So it's up a little bit. Anyway. Well, so the, the other thing too is you have to think about things that expire and don't expire. Because yeah. the, the good thing about beef as opposed to, you know, let's say citrus or something like that is, um, you know, if you if you take an orange off the tree, you you're, you sell it at the store or you have to turn it into orange juice. You know, there's not really like a lot of other options. Whereas with beef, uh, they sort of have to naturally go through an aging process once they get processed. And there's a lot of people like myself or, you know, these Texas beef initiative guys and stuff like that, that they'll actually buy beef and then they'll put it in their freezer and they'll just stock up. And so I think there's a there's a sort of preservation aspect of having having a stock of beef. Um, and then from there, you know, you can turn that beef into soup. You can turn it into frozen soup. hamburgers. That's your you first. Know. I'm just throwing it out there. There's just lots of other stuff you can do with it. But, like steak. We'll go steak. My yeah, answer would have been steak. Okay. Yeah, steak. So, yeah, you're going to do a 40-day aged, you know, ribeye or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, there's – but beef is used the, – the animal, the actual cow, is is broken down into very – like a ton of steps. Right. And, you know, the bones are done – one thing with the bones, one thing with the skin, all this other stuff. So the life cycle of a cow is is pretty interesting. And this is like a really weird argument that I saw someone make recently. And we're going down a total rabbit hole here, but whatever. It's a, it's our podcast. So we can say what we want. Um, someone said, think about it, man. I, uh, you know, like think of all the lives. And I was like, huh, interesting. Because, yeah, if you have to eat 100 pounds of fish, like how many fish is that? Right? How many chicken are you eating if you eat 100 pounds of chicken? But if you eat 100 pounds of beef, that could all come from one cow. And because one cow produces hundreds of pounds of beef. And so the way that they were saying it was it's actually more, uh, you know, humane to eat beef because it's less animals net that are damaged or killed or whatever you want to call it uh, in the farming process as opposed to a chicken farm or whatever else. If you're, if you're like one of those hippies that's saying like, you know, every sentient being, it's like, well, yeah one one cow feeds 10 people you know for a year or whatever it is uh and that's like a crazy math argument but it's sort of like what it is cow... something i've never heard before yeah. i guess if souls is your benchmark yes like... yeah <laughs> then, then sure yeah sentient um... beings is is like an actual mathematical heuristic apparently uh but uh and i think that's where those beef guys get super in they the, the bitcoin beef maximalism thing 
it sort of you can see how it bridges there you know one bitcoin's one bitcoin you know <laughs> one pound of beef is one pound of beef you know like there's the it's like the arnold and uh and uh carl weathers you know handshake and you son of a bitch you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. you can totally see it how it works one uh, one last thing about food before we we wrap it up i saw this menu from 1907 from a place in new york city and um it's all integers it's all whole numbers i'll send it to you when we're done here <laughs> but i was like is this dollars so it's like no this has to be cents right like the prices on here are speaking of inflation like um you know a dry toast 10 i assume that's cents right yeah oranges 15 grapes 20 uh so they have a bunch of fruit they have a bunch of meat options um chicken hash 60 um so it's just, it's just crazy to, to see where prices have have come like over the past you know 100 plus years um french fried by the way potatoes french fried 20 uh, mm. hashed brown 20 um anyway just super interesting so all right people getting arrested uh bear market vibes uh user growth still going up well uh, that's that's another thing i forgot to mention speaking of user growth yeah um, the number of it. the number of btc addresses with one btc is almost at a million. So we we almost have a million whole coiners. Not that every address is one person, uh, but you know you could you could use that argument. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, but that's a pretty good distribution, right? Yeah, it's great. It's great I mean, to see people taking money off exchanges, moving to self custody, doing whatever you're doing. Um, you know, the Guinea coefficient is rising, right? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah? I forget. It's, up or down is a good thing, but <laughs> so basically, the the the, the, the plebs, yeah, the plebs are basically getting more and more empowered with each passing week, I yeah. guess, right? And yeah. I think that's where that's where the idea of, and and this is this is the difficult part for a lot of people. They say, okay, if Bitcoin is the thing, why not just go all Bitcoin? And the reality is, we're still society still would not make it easy on you if that was the case. It's still Bitcoin is still an asset class. For a lot of investors, it's still not the only, you know, money for a lot of people. Um, you can't and I pay think, your rent. You can't pay your groceries. You know, you can't yeah. rent a car. If you if you can try, it'd be really hard, difficult, but it's there's, there's not easy enough. Yeah, there's ways of doing it where you can kind of, you know, convert on the spot and things like that. You know, there's there's point of sale apps with like Cash App has one where you can actually yeah. like, you know, bloop with your phone right there. Yeah. Um, obviously, BTC Pay Server, BitRefill, a lot of these other things um, are doing it. Fold, Lolly, Strike, whatever. But the the thing is, it's still hard to earn Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, it's still hard to get paid in in Bitcoin, and so spending uh, Bitcoin that you had to buy on an exchange, you know what I mean, and go through all that rigmarole. Um, if if we were, so I think it's it's now we've got a critical amount of users and holders. Now we just need to figure out how many people can start getting paid in Bitcoin and 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 how that can sort of lead to the next the next thing. Because at some point we'll reach a critical mass where people will just say, okay, you know what, I have to make a bet on something. I'm going to bet on this. And what I mean by that is people in other parts of the world, because, you know, not everybody is going to be buying a whole coin. You're going to have people that are literally buying sats at a time. And if we can figure out how to just use semi smartphones, I'm saying not even like full on iPhones, but just basically a Nokia, like Nokia's, <laughs> if we can run secure apps, secure wallets on a Nokia phone, uh, then, 
you know, it, it's really then you then you have Africa. You have. Well, I saw this video of a, this guy in Africa speaking of Nokia. It was yep. the screen was broken. You know. Yes, um, I saw that. It was like you know one of those old school, nineteen nineties phones, and it was it was able to send and receive Bitcoin. Yeah, it was like 15,000 15, sats or something like that, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's, that's, we're so close to that. Right. And I think it's up to the people that are out there having the conversations in public, educating people. Um, It's not going to come from the politicians. It's not going to come from celebrities with flamethrowers and Super Bowl commercials. It's going to come from real world people having a conversation around the campfire, you know, at a bar, um, you know, at a soccer game, whatever at church, they're just having regular human being conversations about what they think and what they like and what they don't like. And then that's, that's what it is. So uh, the last thing I want to say is I I think the critical number is once we get to 400 million worldwide users of Bitcoin. And the reason I say that number as, as like, that's, that's the the real trigger for mass adoption, because when you have a question about something and you can have a real conversation with a peer, you know, that's so much more, like that's so much easier than like translating Michael Saylor into 87 languages, right? That that it's it's not going to be easy for people to stay on top of the Tales from the Crypt podcast or, you know, something like that to, to, to get these things. But if you know that this other person's a Bitcoiner and you have a question, you're like, listen, I can just go talk to Josh. Josh knows what he's talking about. I've heard him talk about Bitcoin to other people. He's been for telling years, me, which people for do years, go ahead, go ahead. years and years. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes years, right. To get these people going. But then yeah, eventually yeah. if you theoretically have 400 million people, then you, you have one person in every like two or three households, which means you can like walk two two doors down for wherever you live in the world. You can knock and odds are that person's a Bitcoiner within that radius of two on each side. Right. So there's like five total houses and there's a couple people in each house. Like that's the math, right? If you're radius, I don't, I don't trust that math. I will believe you. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, if you if you broke it down to say that there's eight eight billion, eight billion. people in the world, yeah. right? Yeah. That means that there's really like five percent of the people are Bitcoiners. But if you look at the population density in certain metro areas, and you think of like New York or something like that, like there's a Bitcoiner in every building on average, right? Just just by that metric. If there's if there's 400 million people distributed across the world, then it's like, what's your distance and how many people, if you need to get, you need to have a radius of 20 people to have one Bitcoiner. And then what happens is that one Bitcoiner has access to 19 other non-Bitcoiners. And if they're somewhat convincing, then there's overlap, right? At work and stuff like that. People work for 100, 200, 500 employee companies. So there's 10 Bitcoiners at that company or whatever. And then they become the cool kids and they become influential in the, in the thought process. And they're standing out and saying, hey, this is messed up. We shouldn't be doing this. Look what this guy's saying on TV. We don't want that. You know, like this is just Orwell's worst nightmare for us. And, um, you know, we don't want this reality. We like this other reality. And they become Bitcoiners. And I think that that number is where you would see the the real wick and we would go we would double in a super short period of time from 400 to 800 because it's just having that humanity behind the user base like you said the the african nokia phone right that's 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 the reality of what can help some of those people and you know it's like that's not a Michael Saylor use case right today in the sense that Michael Saylor's got, you know, a billion dollars for the Bitcoin or whatever that that doesn't affect the African person. The African person's like, hey, listen, my government sucks. Our money sucks. I need 15,000 sats for that, that, 
you know, bag of potatoes or whatever it is. And yeah. that's or that's, South America or yeah, wherever else. Absolutely. And like Elise Colleen says, it's uh, fintech for poor people. That's what Bitcoin is. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I'm going to have to use so. that one again. Fintech. Give her credit for that on Twitter. She's, she's totally the pioneer on that one. <laughs> she's great. Uh, I, we had a great conversation with her. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, yeah, that's we're about out of time today. So um, we'll see what's next in the saga and, and the crypto sphere. And um, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. It's 24 seven. That's what happens. People just people just get burnt and uh, get burnt out. So um, everybody listening, thank you for listening to the bottom line. Uh, we are here for your questions and your comments and your long form blog posts on Substack. And uh, if you have any questions, Josh is at Carpe Noctum on Twitter and I am a straight edge racer. I'll see you around.